Well, well, well. If it isn't uh, things that make the show late. Mm. Mm. Then you were trying to blame me. No, but it is you. You didn't remind me to turn that on. That's all my fault that you you were late. (laughs) If we weren't goofing off, if we weren't goofing off when we were supposed to be starting the show, then Leo would have found the problem earlier. So therefore, it is Joe's fault. Oh, Joe always. You know what though, Bo? You, I think you got a point, man. Joe always <laughs> checks me. He's always the one that goes in first to YouTube and is like, "Yep, I hear it." And today he just didn't do it. People think it's just a blank show. Hey, no, you know, they'll do honestly, what everybody else on YouTube does and skip the first ten minutes anyway. Yeah, and, yeah. and well, find that there is sound. So the real question is: Is a blank show an upgrade? We'll, we'll just start a bodybuilding channel. We'll all get a weight set and set the That's cameras it. up facing it. And then we just we just get swole on camera with no sound in front of microphones. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say right there. Look boy. at that. <laughs> Look at that. I bet you could husk some corn with those arms. I have. So you, you've never shucked corn? Oh, I shuck corn all the time. Okay. Especially in the summer when you put them in the, I mean, Bo, why are you laughing like that? Oh, that yeah. is a very true statement. <laughs> Can we show detassel? What? Have you ever had to detassel? I don't know what that means. Now that is something I should laugh at because it seems it seems. But bad. you have to detassel your corn while it's still out in the field, so it doesn't um, germinate, and then it will actually grow to a proper size. Well, there you have it, folks. Corn cast. <laughs> by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 362.5. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. We're in the Mintcast channel, not on Freenode at irc.spotchat.org. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube. Post at the Mintcast subreddit. Chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Matrix, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. This is Leo, and with me today is Joe. Hello. Without the E, why do you not have an E in the show notes? You're just you're just Joe. All right. <laughs> and Bo. Uh, also, no E. No E, E-free. but I think I think that's supposed to be that way, right? Yeah, it's always that way. <laughs> why is it not spelled uh, B E A U? It's the Southern oh. spelling, not the French spelling. That's uh. it. <laughs> and Tony Hughes. Hi, guys. We're recording on Sunday, the 30th of May, 2021. Tony, did you write that in there? It's backwards. <laughs> First up, in our intersection, we talk about system building and the distros we like to put on. And finally, the feedback and a few suggestions. And by a few suggestions, I mean uh, we have to scramble to put something down there because there's something down there. In the Linux centers, we were we were teasing it at the top of the show, and the idea for this one is PC builds. What do you do after you build a PC? What is the very first Linux distro you throw on there? For me, it's Hannah Montana Linux every time, all the time. It's it's my go-to distro. That's the one I put onto every machine first, just to make sure that everything is working. And if Hannah Montana Linux doesn't work on that machine, then I just go straight to Windows. 
That's how that works. I think. Yeah, this surprises uh, <laughs> no one that's on the YouTube right now and, and, and can see your face. Uh, yeah. So I don't. Um, I did do it because we were making fun of Hannah Montana Linux because we were talking about, you know, is it or isn't it a distro? I think it is. I mean, if you maintain it, it's a distro. That's the deal. If it has any kind of following whatsoever or community, it's a distro. And so that means uh, when I went to SourceForge, I think, to download it, four people had downloaded it before anybody else. So there's at least four people that run Hannah Montana Linux in some form, right? So, I mean... That was probably uh, us. Okay, yeah, you're probably right. Because <laughs> I think I did. Da- I downloaded it about twice. I know, Tony, you downloaded it. <laughs> so maybe maybe that yeah. was all us. <laughs> so we, we're the Hannah Montana Linux community. We make it real, Tony. I think we've granted a wish today. Yeah, we're going to change the name <laughs> of the show from Mintcast to HMcast. That's it. That's it. Well... So it's it's not a go-to distro at all for me, but I did load it up on um, on a B550 motherboard with a uh, with an AMD 5800X, and it booted. It absolutely booted. I that was um, just it blew my mind because I tried to load Debian 10, which is what Hannah Montana Linux is based off of because it's based off of, because that's based off MX and MX is based on Debian. Um, I assumed it just wasn't even going to boot because prior. On a B350 motherboard, same video card, uh, but a uh, Ryzen 1700, it didn't boot. Debian did not boot. So I had zero hopes of this actually booting for me to actually be able to get up to the 5.8 or 5.10 kernel where I know things work well. But it booted. And I, I just it blew my mind. I don't know how the newer computer boots more things than the older computer that should have more support in a kernel like 4.19. Just color me surprised. But anyway, it booted, and immediately I realized it didn't detect my Wi-Fi card. Shame. And it didn't detect my Ethernet. Shame. And it didn't uh, detect my video card properly, so all I had was um, 1280 by 1024 resolution on a widescreen monitor. And my first thought was, why is everything stretched out? So, yeah, it, it didn't go well, <laughs> but it did boot. So I was pretty impressed with just that alone. Just the fact that it booted just blew my mind. So I'm, I was pretty happy about that. So the obviousness of the situation was that 4.19 just is not going to work for me. And if um, I didn't figure out how to do it, but I feel like MX probably ships with a 5.8 or 5.10 kernel or something in the ISO that you can like swap to or choose. But uh, I didn't spend enough time with it because, you know, Hannah Montana Linux is really not that important to me. Uh, but anyway, I know they support it. They support 5.8 and 5.10. Those are the last, um, what was it, uh, 19.3 and 19.4 MX Linux does have those two kernels on the support list. So I know it would work if I could just figure out how to upgrade it, but I didn't spend enough time on it. So I have a question now. Uh, oh, well, the answer to the question, sorry, of the, what do I put? Obviously, Linux Mint. Uh, 5.4 boots, but not everything is supported. Um, the, the audio chipset isn't supported. So um, if I go and get the Linux Mint Cinnamon Edge Edition, which ships with 5.8, everything works perfectly. And right now, this live stream, coming to you live, is running off of Linux Mint 20 on the new build. So Linux Mint is the answer. Um, And I've also got Pop! OS sitting side by side for the newer kernel. uh, Because for some reason, Linux Mint doesn't have the 2104 kernel in the kernel updater. And maybe I'm just blind or I haven't checked recently, but... Um, I'd like to be on 5.11 for the new desktop, but I'm on 5.8, which is fine. Everything works. Nothing is broken. 
So I'm, I'm happy with it, but I'd like the newer uh, kernel anyway. So I have a couple of questions. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to wait to ask these questions at the end. And uh, I'm going to move this. Uh, I'm going to move this right along and move it on to Tony. So, Tony, what you got? I'm going to go to my show notes so I can read them really, <laughs> really large because of my eyes. Um, so it's been a good few years since I actually built a PC. Uh, and all my PC building experience has been using second-hand parts, I, which I used to get from the likes of FreeCycle or donated by family and friends and people like that. So while this is economical, the disadvantage is you don't know what's working and what's totally uh, failed. Uh, so it can lead to interesting times when you're getting a PC uh, working after reassembly. So um, over the years that I was doing it, I generally uh, found it best to assemble uh, in stages and to add components one at a time. So the first thing I'd do was get it to the stage where it would um, have power and the PC uh, could uh, get to post, which is uh, power on self-test for those who don't right. know, uh, and give error, error messages such as no RAM and things like that. Um, so then you can move on with your build. But the best thing to do then is to add components one at a time check their working, and then move on to your next component until you've got a fully working PC. I got to say, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot uh, more cavalier than you. Uh, what I do <laughs> is I build the whole computer, wire manage the entire thing, plug absolutely everything in, and then test it. And then get frustrated when I... Yeah, but the problem with that is if yep, something goes wrong, yep, you don't know what you gotta it is. You got to tear down the whole thing and figure it out. I know, but, but it's, like, it's, yeah. like a, it's a challenge. Can you get it to boot up first time? And I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised that this time I could. Other times, not so yeah. much. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know when it comes to Linux, it's very handy uh, at this stage to have a USB Live uh, yes. disk on hand, so that when you you can go in and you know Leo was talking about Wi-Fi not working and Ethernet not working and things like that, you can go in and. Uh, use the live disk to find out what is and isn't working. Um, but you might think, oh, that only applies to uh, using certain hand parts, but it doesn't because uh, actually if you're building a, a new PC from uh, components that you've bought and you've sourced from the internet or you've gone to one supplier and ordered all the bits, they're supposed, you know, some of these companies all... Uh, sell you the components and say, we've tested them, they all work together. But not they don't always. Um, and so if you do, if you use the method of uh, building it in stages, uh, you may have even got a part, even though it's brand new, it's not working. You've, you've got a faulty part out of the box. Um, so it can, be, it can be good when you're building a, a system from scratch that's brand new as well to do this. Now, my caveat for building a modern PC is it's not necessarily going to be cheaper to build a PC yourself. You know, you can go to a lot of these mm -hmm. manufacturers uh, or these um, companies now that will build one to your own Especially spec. now with the graphics and card craziness fine, going on right now. Yeah. They've probably got graphics cards that they've had in the warehouse for months. Yeah. I mean, you so can actually get your you hands on a 3080. If you buy the rest of the computer around right. it, and but at, otherwise, at a yeah, pretty much price no. a lot of yeah. times. 
for a, a lot for of less times. than it yeah. costs to buy it individually. But yeah, there's um, a markup on it. And one of the funny things is I had a friend that just bought one because he was looking for a graphics card and just broke down and decided he's going to buy a whole entire computer with the graphics card in it and then gift the computer to uh, his nephew, but keep the graphics card and give him like an older graphics card. But I mean, overall, I think that's a gr- it's a win for the nephew and for him. <laughs> but, you know, because he gets a video yeah. card because he's on the 900 series NVIDIA still. And he wants to I be on the 3000 that. series. That's, but that's and, amazing. And, the pre-built systems are also the only way to get a whole bunch of the AMD G series uh, processors. Oh, true. Which, yeah. which yeah. handle a lot of the graphics. Now, obviously, they're not as good as yeah. having a dedicated graphics card. But in this age of not being able to find graphics cards, a 5600G can pretty much do the job. But really, the only yeah. way you can get it is in a pre-built system or on eBay yeah, from I'm somebody a, that ripped I, it out I, of a pre-built system. Yeah, I think, uh, what am I on, like a Ryzen 5 2400G? I mean, it plays WoW. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that, man. <laughs> it's not bad. It's certainly not Intel graphics. Uh, but the new Iris stuff is supposed to be pretty good, or XG or whatever it is. Uh, that's so, so, supposed to actually rival the, in, uh, the Ryzen G stuff. So maybe one of these days we won't need graphics cards at mm. all. It'll all be pre-built. Mm. Yep. So anyway... Uh... You'd ask yourself, what's the benefit of uh, building your own PC? Well, the main advantage of building it yourself is you can choose the components. That's my favorite part. You're not relying on a manufacturer right. uh, because you can't always get exact components that you particularly want in a, in exactly. a system. And you've got the satisfaction of learning how those components go together so you can troubleshoot your own it's, system. I like, I like building my computer yeah. for the same reason I like running Linux. It's mine and I control it. That, yeah. that, I yeah. think, is a huge part of all of this. Yeah, and, and I'd also add that for the same reason I like working on an old rust bucket car in my garage. It's just mm. I enjoy the process, you know? Yeah. Um, but I would challenge the yeah. is it cheaper thing because um, you can buy pre-built PCs, um, but a lot of times they'll have they'll have a legit graphics card. Um, you know, they'll have this, the things that they know that people are going to look for, like the RAM uh, the graphics, but they'll cheap out on the power supply, and a lot of times the motherboard will be whatever the bare bare minimum is to run those components. And so, what you'll find, because we did this with my wife's PC, was a was a pre built, um, and uh, I mean that's that's the way it felt. Was it's like, well, I probably could have built this PC for just a little bit more money, but we would have had like all all legit components as opposed yeah, quality. to quality. You also have yeah. to be careful yeah. when buying a pre-built because a lot of your major pre-built manufacturers like to include power supplies that uh, have a specific pinout or motherboards that have a specific that don't yeah. run the uh, standard twenty-four Dell? pin. Yeah, Dell Come specifically. On, Dell. They're, they're yeah. really bad mm-hmm. about it. So that you can't go back later yeah. and, and get an aftermarket upgrade on that power supply. You can't get well an upgrade for the motherboard. I, I will say you got to be careful. I think um, Dell does really just do like the custom build deal. Because my, my daughter's running on an old Dell. and But it was a real retail available Asus motherboard with an Intel i5-6600K. And, mm-hmm. I mean, legit RAM, uh, a, a legit actual air cooler, everything. So it, was, it really was like a pre-built computer made by you and me with a Dell case. 
That's pretty much what mm. it was. Yeah. And so I ripped it out, put it in a different case, and now it's not a Dell anymore. It's it's all the other individual components. But that's, so that's not always cool. the case. So going back to what Joe, right. Joe's just said, going back to what Joe just said, I've got a HP tower here that I bought mm-hmm. at an auction. And when the power supply on that failed, I found out exactly the yep. same thing that it was a, it was a you know it was a proprietary power supply for HP. Luckily, I had another HP case with a power supply that actually fitted back into now, this now one. Now, why so. would a why would a multi million dollar company make a proprietary power supply that only works with a multi million dollar company's Ooh. products? Now. I'll- I don't understand. Ooh, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, and you know, to uh, another point to, to what Bo was talking about, that, you know, they do cheap out on the parts. Um, I mean, th- this desktop was going to be in uh, pretty close to $2,000, mostly because of the graphics card, I assume. But it came with an A520 motherboard, which is the lowest tier Ryzen motherboard you can buy. Hmm. And they also threw in a $30 Wi-Fi card that you could not say no to. So, yeah, you know, they're, they're, while while it's easy to get a pre-build and sometimes it can be cheaper, yeah, there are caveats to that. And, you know, a not free free Wi-Fi card is definitely one of them. I was, I was actually saying it wasn't necessarily cheaper, but also about the, the fact that you can, you've got the convenience of knowing all the parts work together when you're buying yeah. something that they put together for your spec. You can go on websites, um, scan in this country, and, you know, if you're look, looking at Linux machines, um, oh, what's the the Linux builders here? I'm trying to think of the name of it now. It's just gone out of my head. Uh, but there's a Linux company in this country that, that build PCs and sell laptops with Linux pre-installed on it. And you can, you can order off them. And they tend to use good quality components and things like that. Entraware. Entraware oh, yeah, is yeah. the company I'm thinking of in this country. Um, so I could I could probably go and buy some of those components uh, and probably build a similar system. But they they put it together, they test it, they give That's you a nice. twelve month or you know yeah. up to a three year warranty depending on the and all those kind of yeah. things. One of the downsides of pre building uh, or of of building one yourself is that yeah you get the warranty. You get a five-year warranty here and a one-year warranty there and a two-year warranty here, but <laughs> yeah. you have to deal with yeah. each and... It's all on individual exactly. components. Exactly, so if, if your power supply dies and it takes your M2 with it or something like that, now you have two people to call and two RMAs to schedule yeah. and two yeah. separate shipping shipping companies to deal with, and you may or may Correct. not actually get free shipping back and forth between them, and a lot of times you don't. And if your power supply caused the M2 right. to blow, they might say, well, sorry... It's nothing right, to do with exactly. Us. <laughs> that had nothing to do with the M.2, so they're going to send that back on your dime and tell you no, and then you have to go buy another one anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, <laughs> you know, you get there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of things that you get with a pre-build that you don't get with when you build yourself. But yeah, I'll take the risk. Yeah. I like, I prefer it. And you, you, you know, I know sometimes the components aren't quite the top of the range and stuff like that, but you're paying for the True. convenience if you go if you. If yeah, you get you're, it, you're paying to not have to think about it. Uh, like, I don't want to know yeah. if it's yeah. a B550 or a X570 or a A5. I don't care. Yeah. Just, does does it go fast? Can I play Fortnite? Yeah. Okay. But, but what Bo said earlier on, it's not so much getting that computer. It's more to do with the actual satisfaction mm. of putting a computer yeah. together. And when you power it on, it works. And you know you put it together. That's where I really... 
you know, I get that satisfaction if, I, if I've put a load of components that have, I've come from all different areas and I've managed to get a working PC out of it. I really enjoy yeah, doing that. me too. I remember the, uh, it, it wasn't a tower PC, it was a laptop. I got a, donated a laptop with a busted screen and I happened to have a spare screen here. And I remember it was the first and only time I've ever swapped out a laptop screen. Yeah. And the satisfaction when I switched that laptop on and it worked after putting it, you know, taking all the time to do it, to swap out the screens and get it all working again. It was absolutely yeah. amazing. You know, the buzz, I had a buzz on yeah. for a week. I have, I have a similar story because I had an <laughs> HP laptop that I've had forever, had a really nice processor in it. I think it was a Sandy Bridge 2620QM. So, I mean, four cores, hyper-threading. I mean, the thing was a beast, but got really hot and the screen was uh, 1366 by 768. So that was horrible. So I ended up uh, buying a 1080p screen for it, a good 1080p screen for it. And uh, I installed it. I got, you know, I ripped it all apart, pulled all the bezels off, got the screen installed, plugged it in, nothing. And I was, (laughs) oh, what's the word? Gutted. I was gutted. (laughs) And anyway, but um, so I take the screen out, put the old one back in, turn it on. It works fine. So I know I didn't break anything, but then I go on the internet and look up this particular model, and I don't know how I didn't find this in the first place, but they said the the cable is like HD, and you need a higher bandwidth cable oh, wow. to, to be able to do 1080p, or actually to be able to do 900p and above. So, hmm. oh. I mean, you know, I was like, okay, that makes sense. It's like going from VGA to DVI or DVI to DisplayPort or something like that, right? I mm-hmm. get that. Okay, cool. So I found the cable, eight bucks, got it shipped, took a week. Uh, added the cable, so tore everything apart again, swapped the cable, added the screen, opened it up, powered it on. Beautiful. It was bright, brighter <laughs> than the previous screen. 1080p, so I had all the room in the world. And, I mean, now the hotness of the CPU didn't bother me anymore because I had, like, you know, six, well, six PMs all over the place. Y'all and know I'm like, well, it, it deserves to be hot. Is like grabbing some hardware that everybody else has given up on and said, oh, no, this isn't going to work. And then oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, going yeah, you in take there with that my tools than we do. And, and making it work and saying, ha, it works now. Go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. The, the, feeling of the, uh, the feeling of accomplishment that you get after putting something together and, you know, being like, I've made fire. You know, that, that, it's that feeling. <laughs> of, uh, yeah, I've done it. And it's fantastic. I love it. Well, I've said in the show notes, that's yeah. priceless. It, it really it is. is. It's priceless. It is. Oh, actually, I can put a price on my build, but the feeling was better than that price. <laughs> yeah, that's priceless. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but at the end of it, it goes without saying that uh, the distro of choice is, for me, Mint Mate. All right. So uh, that would be my experience of building a PC and uh, sticking Linux yep, on that's it. that's it. So, Joe, well, what you got to on, on a brand new build, all new parts, stuff I've never seen before. The first thing I'm going to install is an established distro. Um, it, it's definitely not as big a concern as it was 10 years ago, but it's still helpful to install something like Ubuntu or, in my case, yeah. Linux Mint. Um, what's most important when building a, a new machine is doing a bit of research on the parts that you're buying Um, a simple google search of the parts along with the word linux will yield either nothing or it's going to get you a lot if nothing comes up related to linux then there's a good chance that it'll just work out of the box or either that or it's so new that nobody's really done anything with it yet um if yeah 
if a lot comes up, um, then likely there is a problem, and then you need to go in and look through and see how other people handled that problem, or if they were able to even get it to work. Because that that that's a horrible feeling when you like get this new piece of hardware, you get everything installed on it, and, and then you go out and something doesn't work. You go out and search, and you find that if you had done your research beforehand, you'd have found out that no one has been able to fix a problem with a driver or something somewhere and, and people have been working on it for a while. Um, so it's worth it to do that type of, of research beforehand if you're looking at new hardware. Um, and now when it comes to like graphics cards and things, uh, generally you're not going to have a problem even unless it's uh, an entirely brand new line of um graphics cards like when they switched from the uh, gtx series to the rtx series then i'm sure that there was some time there where there was some gap and things weren't working right right away granted that got fixed eventually but um now when a new rtx processor comes out as long as it's not a complete architecture change it's most likely just gonna work maybe not as well as it does in, in windows but that that's a whole other discussion um, because uh, RTX is nice, but how often does it actually get used even on Windows systems? I mean, ray tracing is life, Joe. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> ray tracing is cool, but it doesn't really get used all that much. Yeah, well, to, to your point about the support, um, that is one thing I was worried about uh, in building this because B550 is not that new anymore i mean it's it's probably a year old by now but i mean i was going to be booting up into kernels that were 5.8 at best so i was worried about the support and because i knew that linux mint didn't have 5.11 in the uh in the little selector thing i know i could do it manually but it didn't have it in the little selector thing made me think that am i uh am i gonna have to you know ignore linux mint for a little bit run on pop but that's just not the case not in in 5.8 and above not a single device that I had in my entire build, including the AX Wi-Fi, it, it all worked just out of the box. And something that I forgot to mention, and I think I'll mention now, is the funniest thing is that I didn't really have much um, worry about Linux uh, in, in this slow. I built a new computer. I took my drives directly out of the old computer, plugged them directly into the new computer, and booted straight in. Everything worked. Not a single error message during boot. I mean, the only thing it asked me was, hey, what's your Wi-Fi password? Because I had never logged on to Wi-Fi on that machine because I didn't have a Wi-Fi card before. That was it. Everything else just worked. Yeah. So migrating Linux actually works. I mean, I, 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 it always had, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to new architectures. I'm adding crazy new hardware that I don't even know is supported in the kernel or not. And it and it, just, it all just worked. Well, that's what I did so, with my uh, my server build out, out in the garage when yeah. I completely rebuilt that. I just pulled the um, the 500 gigabyte SSD out of the old one and, and and popped it right in, and everything it just came right up. Yep. One thing I do have to say, and I don't do this often, which is give Windows props. I don't do this. I, I make I make a point to not do this really, <laughs> not really. But that worked too. What is up with Windows now? Windows is just not randomly blue screening on you when you move when you move machines. When did this happen? Right, or locking because, you out and making you um, um, yeah. I've been on the, the internet for 
yeah, I've been on the internet with that Windows machine for 48 hours, and by now it's like, this is counterfeit. That hadn't happened. Right. The, what is, well, it's not locking or, or making you put in yeah. the uh, lock key again. And you know why? Because they don't make a lot of money on desktops anymore, right. so they don't care about it, I don't think. But the fact that, that the NT kernel isn't freaking out on me anymore because of driver this and driver that. Wow. Right. That the whole, totally you, blows a my major mind. hardware change. You need to uh, re-verify the system. Everything but the video card. Everything changed. And what? How? I don't even, that's, it's fantastic. I, I was expecting it to blue screen and I was expecting to do a factory reset, you know, pull all my data off, do a factory reset and let it do its thing or whatever. Didn't need to. I'm, all of the operating systems are still running exactly as they were on the previous build. So yeah, migration is in 2021 with it. We, we figured it out. All the OSs can just handle it now. <laughs> fantastic. I've never had big issues with, uh, compatibility on like building a PC and then installing Linux on it. I honestly, I honestly don't do that much research. I just, I just maybe have been lucky, but I also stick with certain brands because I know they've worked in the past. Um, mm -hmm. so I, but I don't know that that's a necessity. I, that could just be my paranoia. Yeah. I'm, I'm an MSI guy. Um, Me too. there was only yeah. one feature that, that I couldn't use on the previous build. I had to turn like the lowest sleep state of my CPU off, mm -hmm. um, because it would lock up. I don't know what that was about, but on this machine, I, nothing. I, I cranked the RAM up to its rated settings and I booted into Linux and it's at the end. I didn't change anything else. And it, it just, yeah, I can't, I can't believe it. Can't believe it. Does Josh know you're an MSI guy? Cause he always picks on me. So now we can gang up. Oh, on him. we're well, going to double team him on <laughs> no, this one. Honestly, no. from my what laptops, is he an Asus guy? For my laptops. Yeah. I, I always prefer to go with the MSI gaming laptops. Mm. That That's my mm, main yeah. preference. Now for desktops, that's a completely different story, but I, I am a big fan of the MSI gaming laptops. Yeah. Yeah, I, I dig MSI gear. Uh, I have for the past three motherboards, uh, including this one. So, yeah, it's it's good stuff. What, so, does does Josh use Asus? I think Asus. Yeah, I think yeah. that's I mean, what it they, is. They're the other big boy in the room, so I don't I don't yeah, really this, fault him for that. But uh, if well, I were doing, I would do Asus before Gigabyte. But again, this yeah. is all just I don't know that it's based on anything other than just my perception. I don't know that it's I, real at all. <laughs> I think it's old mindshare. I think, yeah. um, you know, I mean, Asus and MSI have always been good to me. Uh, I, I've just gravitated toward MSI because I like the styles of motherboards that they put mm -hmm. out. And I mean, that has turned into the hardware support is good too. So, I mean, they're just my preference now as well. I'll go Here's to every single time. For you. Why on almost all high-end motherboards do they put an X4 slot, the PCIe, the, the mini slot, right next to your x16 slot when all your graphics oh, cards yeah are freaking two gang so they're going to take up two slots at least and mm -hmm. even if they don't then the fan on the one gang is, is, is going to be right there and anything you put into that x4 slot is going to be covering your fan and causing overheating issues why is that so because i think those are on the same channel anyway so you wouldn't want to use them together either way so if you put something in the X16, if you put something in that in that 1X or 4X slot beneath it, it's sharing the bandwidth. Uh, and you have the where the next X16 starts or the X8, depending on, you know, your motherboard, that's a separate channel. Because um, the way that my B55 is, is um, it's X16 on top. Uh, the M.2 is, uh, well, PCIe Gen 4. So there's a Gen 4 chip. The two top things are Gen 4, and then everything below is Gen 3. That's kind of the compromise you make with a B55 versus an uh, X570. Um, anyway, and then the bottom is on on a totally separate channel. So 
I think it's a difference between what can directly talk to the CPU and what has to go through the North. Grid. Well, I have seen a couple so, that actually have that um, that 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 PCIe Gen 4 slot on the yeah. um, far side of closer to the processor than the X16 mm-hmm. slot, and then that that makes a whole lot more sense to me because then you can physically yeah. actually use both slots without causing major problems for your graphics card. Yeah, and one other thing on that B B55, if I decide to use the uh, uh, I think it's the M2 slot. I think it disables the uh, secondary PCIe 16. I only run one graphics card, so it doesn't bother me. But I think that's another limitation of the B5 uh, 550. Yeah, not a lot of people do the the dual graphics cards anymore. And I know that SLI is basically dead. So yeah, well, I don't I don't dual anything. No dual monitors. No dual graphics. No dual nothing. Mm. Just give me one good one, and I'll be happy. But anyways, so um, my go-to for a first install, even if I have other plans for the device, is usually Linux Mint, just to test everything out and see how it works in Linux. Um, There are instances where that's not possible, but generally that isn't with new hardware or mainstream hardware. There are some um, 32-bit SOCs that are out on the market now that are new. And and for those, um, if I'm running it, I'm most likely going to be running whatever proprietary uh, version of Linux that they're throwing at me saying this works with that. Or if I want to install something on my own, I'm going to install MX Linux um, just to test it out. Now, Raspberry Pi so, is a So how, how do you handle that? What do you mean? Because that comes with a 4.19 kernel. Well, yeah, it's going to come with an older kernel, uh, but it's also 32-bit hardware, so I'm not going to stress it. I, I already know that with a thir- with 32-bit hardware, I'm going to be limited no matter what I do because nobody's really writing stuff for 32-bit anymore. And usually these yeah. are single-board computers anyway, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, so you know you're not going to be putting exactly. high end stuff. Well, <laughs> but like with the Raspberry Pi, because it's the Raspberry Pi, you do get a bit more choice there. You get the Raspbian OS, or you get Ubuntu, or you get Arch, or whatever else the community has put out there for it. But that generally doesn't translate to other systems yeah. on a chip the same way that it does with the Raspberry Pi. And with that, it's really dependent on what I'm going to be using it for. And I do like switching back and forth between um, Raspberry Pi ios and ubuntu yeah ubuntu is always on my raspberry Pis. Yeah. I, I pretty much just straight up skip raspy and or raspberry pi os whatever well, it is some project if you're doing somebody else's project and there's a specific write-up on it and they're oh, using sure. Sure. a raspberry pi os instead of ubuntu then it's easier just to go with how they wrote it instead of trying to uh, get that little bit of translation yeah, of in there for ubuntu how about you bo Oh, I don't. I don't think I have anything to add that you guys haven't already covered. Um, yeah, you said you didn't even Google. You said I'm just going to buy that. one. I just put it together and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I see if it works. Um, yeah, that I, that I think you... is um, like a luxury that you have if you run a lot of Windows. <laughs> you, you don't have to care. It's certainly supported because Windows is yeah. always supported. But yeah, no, it can I get just hairy had good on luck, but. I will tell you what I do is I don't usually build a whole PC at once. I don't think I've done that ever since my first build. Expensive. Like in like 2000. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I usually alternate between upgrading my uh, motherboard processor RAM and upgrading my graphics card and uh, CPU and then a hard yeah. drive just when I need it. Um, I rarely have just, I can't remember the last time I just said I'm going to order enough parts to build a whole PC all at once. Um, and then 
recently I built a, I did build a computer recently, but it was basically spare parts that I had left over from the various upgrades that I had done. And I used those parts to build, uh, actually Scott, my co-host on ECN, I built him his first, uh, his first real computer. He's, he's never been a computer guy. And, uh, you know, I, I built it for him and I told him like, I hope this sparks the interest. I hope you like, you like get bit by the bug now. Um, which is the first thing he did was he, it's kind of funny. It's a cute story. He, he went out and bought a, a larger SS, SSD. I put a 500 gig in there. He wanted like a, a he wanted terabyte. Bigger. Yeah, wow. yeah. He wanted it bigger. Um, he's also from the old school where like he owns all of his like MP3s. Like he doesn't actually stream uh, anything. You know what I mean? So he's like, tell, Oh, I gotta have a bigger. Hard you got to tell the guy to buy spinning media for that, man. Like you gotta yeah, go yeah. get a, go get a hard drive for all those. Yeah. But the funny thing is he he went home and he 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 sent me a picture. So first he needed a SATA cable. So I told him, I said, yeah, go to Best Buy. They got them on the shelf there, you know, or, you know, it's more expensive than ordering on Amazon, but just, you know, you got a free computer, go buy and pick up a, a, a SATA cable. And, um, he, uh, he sent me a picture of it and he's like, is this the right thing? And I was like, yeah, that's it. And then he got home and he's like, it's not coming up. Windows doesn't see it. And I was like, okay, well, send me a picture of how you have it plugged in. And he sent me a picture of where it was plugged in on the motherboard. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. It should be coming up. You know, open disk manager because he's on Windows. Um, I said, open disk manager. And oh, got to initialize you, that disk. See if you need to initialize it. And sure enough, it's not there. And so oh. I was like, you plug in the power, right? And he just <gasps> sent me back power question mark. <laughs> uh, yep. That's that's how you get bitten by the bug, man. Like you can't yeah. let this computer beat you anymore. Like I've, right. I've got to figure this out. No. <laughs> um. But yeah, I just uh, I feel like one of the things like my younger sister's wanting to build a PC right now, and I'm about to help her do that. Um. Ooh. And uh, the thing I was telling her is like, there's the initial cost of building your first PC, but then you can kind of do this tier thing like I do, where just gradually. Every four years, I kind of upgrade a piece of it, but I don't. I don't necessarily do another all at once build, you know. Oh yeah, I, I like it enough that I do do that. Um, that so I alternate graphics and CPU, and a lot of times, yeah. like on the Ryzen yeah. seventeen hundred and the motherboard that was in it, I couldn't drop in a five thousand series right. CPU. It wasn't possible, right. so well, I had to buy a motherboard. But all of my storage is the same. I haven't done anything with storage yeah. uh, on this new build, but. Yeah, I mean the pieces that I can buy one at a time. That's also tends, going to be they they tend to bring another piece with them a lot. That's of also going to be a major problem after this uh, next generation of processors because right. both Intel and um, AMD are going to be ch completely changing their their chipset and socket. Yep. AM5 yeah. coming out. So yep. you're not going to be a, it, it, when it's time to upgrade. You're not going to be able to use the same motherboard, and eventually DDR5 is going to come out, and so then your RAM's not going to mm -hmm. fit in that motherboard, and etc. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And yeah, it just gets to be easier to rebuild the whole thing, other than you know transferring your hard drives over. Right, right. You know, it's probably also why I say I do less research is because I'm I'm just upgrading a piece at a time. So I mean, I'm not like having to look to make sure every single thing works together and works with Linux. You know, as long as whatever graphics card I'm I'm upgrading works with Linux, then I'm okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I, I mean, the Mesa guys and the and I mean the Nvidia folks are really good about it. But the Mesa guys are really fast now. So, yeah, pretty much anything will work anymore. So I had some questions uh, because I think uh, these are these are kind of the ones where I think we'll find uh, we'll, we'll find big breaks in our uh, how we deal with things. But number one, uh, is there a hardware monitor? 
for Linux. So on Windows, there's this little red square with a lightning bolt in it. It's called HW Monitor. You double click on it and it tells you every value for every sensor on the entire machine. It tells you the minimum value, what it's been at its lowest, the maximum value, what it's been at its highest, and the current value. So you can make good choices about, you know, heating situations or, you know, if you need to upgrade something or if your RAM is full or how full it is, you know, things like that. Is there something for Linux that gives me both the min and the max value and the current value? It's called P-Sensor. All right. Oh, the end? Okay. P-Sensor. That's it. It's an extremely simple program and it does have, it it does go down in your tool tray and you can just click on it and see everything there. But if you actually bring up the application P-Sensor, then um, it will give you a, a graph and it will have, well, you can have it graph whichever ones of the sensors that you want, but it'll have all the separated Ooh. cores. It'll have your graphics card as long as it has access to the sensors. Um, the free memory, um, your your hard drive temperatures, all of that. And it's going to have it all in one place, and it's going to give you the min temperature that it's been at, the maximum temperature it's been at, and the, the current value, just like you're asking for. And then on the graph, you can choose which of those get graphed over time and it'll just be while the application's running so it's not like lifetime or anything but um and you can give them all separate colors and and you can monitor it all in real time it p sensor it's simple but it works and yeah it's everything that you're looking for oh yeah i'm running it it uh yeah it totally does what you said so I'm looking at uh, temp one on the CPU, edge, T control, CPU usage, free memory, and my A data SSD. And, I've you know, the, oh, go ahead. I, I, I was going to say I haven't had in the past, and I think my current motherboard might require like some sort of additional installation for P-Sensor to work, but they have really good uh, like community of people that will kind of report on what you need yeah, to install to get it, it to looks work with like, certain hardware. It looks like if LM Sensor supports your hardware, it will work, and HDD temp supports your hardware it'll work this is not bad man okay yeah yeah joe you you fixed it for me so if you haven't checked out p-sensor check out p-sensor i'm gonna be doing this on my desktop doing a little more stress testing and seeing if i if i can handle those temperatures or if i need to if i need to go away to something else some other kind of cooler then you can set up a nice little conky desktop where you got the uh you got Ooh. all the temperature bars on the side yeah <laughs> man to some really 2010 linux there yeah that's a, that's a <laughs> lot of bling <laughs> All right. So now this this might be uh, this is controversial, I think, because everybody has a different answer for this. How much paste do you use <laughs> when you're seeding that heat sink on top of your your processor? The perfect amount. Uh huh. <laughs> how, how much no, is that? That that is that is piece the size. perfect amount. The perfect amount. Piece size. That's how much you use. I, I agree time. with Tony. Piece piece sized is what I typically go with, like small p, petite no, p. No, uh, there's actually like two. <laughs> Two groups of people on this. There's the people that just put the P size on there, which is really all you need and to do. And there's people that slather it no, on. Uh, no, yeah. no. Well, those guys are wrong, and we pretend they don't exist. Um, uh-huh. Then there's the other type <laughs> that will like take a piece of plastic, a credit card, or something. They'll put that P oh, size yeah, yeah, yeah. on there, and they will actually spread it out before they put the uh, the heat sink on there. Uh, well, let me let me tell you this because there's more people than that. There are people that do an X. Well, okay. That draw yeah, an yeah. X with paste across the you know from corner to corner. 
What is that about? I feel like that's too much. It probably is too much, but the only thing that's really going to affect is when it's time to take it apart again and and your your heat sink is cemented to your motherboard and and impossible to take apart. Listen, by the way, if you run into that situation, twist as you pull Mm. because otherwise you'll rip the CPU out of the socket. I've done it myself, and luckily for me, I didn't bend any pins when I did it. Um, but that was a scary thing because seriously, I pulled the heat sink out. CPU is still tucked, stuck to the heat sink. I look at the motherboard, no CPU there. And I'm like, what kind of Houdini thing just happened to me? <laughs> and then, and then I look at the bottom there. of the heat sink and I feel dumb. You got to go in there yeah, with a chair. Yeah, I've done I, that. Or, or a screwdriver and, yeah. and try and. I took a. <laughs> I took a razor blade and kind of got it at each corner of the processor and uh, and it eventually pried off. But that was scary, man, because I had to like the, the CPU can drop. Yeah, it was it was a whole deal. I, I do just smaller than a pea size. OK. And then and it squishes in whenever you you seat your heat sink and yep. tighten it in. Yeah. OK. All right. I, that's what I assumed. I, I think. Yeah, no, I've done both of the <laughs> but, proper methods, you know, one just putting the, the dot there in the middle and and putting the heat sink down on it and, and also the the spreading it out like like spackle and, and and getting it nice and smooth on there to make sure that the uh processor is equally covered yeah all right so what about liquid cooling what what are our I'm, what are our i'm a computer opinions? scientist not a plumber <laughs> <laughs> but they're all in one man you don't even have to deal not with anymore. it anymore they are all in one but the thing about yeah. liquid cooling is that sooner or later just like with your kitchen sink it's going to spring a leak yeah. and then how much is it going to take out with it that's the question remember that one time bo had that story yeah <laughs> that's the only time but but i've liquid cooled every pc i've ever built and that's the only time it ever happened and in that mm-hmm. scenario i was being really reckless like i was uh, i yeah, was yeah, too yeah. cocky about it no i have <laughs> actually <laughs> considered going with a liquid cooled build and not doing the whole custom everything just probably getting it all in one and i know that doing it all yeah. custom yeah. and making just for a quieter system i i always did all custom but it was mostly due to the time period that i built my first pc the mm-hmm. all custom stuff was so much better than the than the loop builds like like what me and leo have now but now they're so similar that it's just to me it's not worth the headache i'll, I'll go with the yeah i'll go with a closed loop system Unless I wanted yeah. to just do something like really fancy for the look of it, which is also cool, you know. So, that's I mean, I honestly, might do I that. think that's a big reason why you do that kind of thing because it looks oh, yeah. awesome. My, yeah, yeah. My first, my first PC build was just like, yeah. My buddy had a liquid cooled CPU, and I was just like, oh, that's so awesome. I'm gonna do the same thing, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it had nothing to do with performance, even though we said it did. It didn't really. <laughs> right. Well, oh, you got to keep those temperatures down so you can overclock, man. That's that's the deal. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, on the All day right, that so, I need to overclock, I'll, I'll more heavily consider getting liquid cooling for that reason. Yeah. All right. So the most important. I've never had a computer where where the uh, it would be worth uh, putting liquid cooling on because the cooling system would probably cost more than maybe. the PC. Yeah, uh, they get yeah, expensive. Anymore, <laughs> liquid cooling isn't a, is isn't as expensive as it used to be. Mm-hmm. No, no. It back in the day when I used to do a lot of setting that down. Time, <laughs> the only Go reason ahead, that sorry. I could see doing it, like I said, was for uh, silence, like a truly silent build or nearly silent build, um, and that would a balance there do i want to go with noxua fans or do i want to go with um you know liquid cooling which would be 
probably just as quiet as Noxious, but Noxious aren't cheap either. So, right. The uh, that time that I blew my wife's computer up with the liquid cooling, um, <laughs> I had graduated because it was my old gaming PC that I that she was using as her PC, and it was I had graduated from just CPU cooling to cooling my graphics cards, and at the time I had SLI, um, and. I could see the benefit in the temperatures on my graphics cards, but it made the loop so much warmer that my CPU was, was warmer because of it. So oh, it's, wow. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated balancing act that you have to do. Yeah. And then that and case, I just don't could, know that could, it's worth could it. Could you put the, um, the CPU earlier in the, uh, in, in the loop? Yeah. I mean, there's things you can do. That's the way it was. The CPU was the first thing right off, oh, okay. right so off the yeah, pump. I wouldn't, uh, but all of the war, all your, unless your reservoir is lo- large enough to cool it off, all of the water within the entire system is, is, you know, getting relatively warmer. So get a larger reservoir and that might've helped. Yeah. If you get a larger reservoir, larger, a larger, uh, radiator, you know, more fans, um, there's all sorts of things you can do to try to combat it, but there's only so much you can do. Well, you know? once you start getting the, the larger radiator and larger fans, you're losing a lot of that, uh, quietness, aren't you? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think, I don't think my PC's ever been quieter <laughs> because of liquid cooling. I think it's always, yeah. it's always been the same or louder, maybe even. <laughs> yeah. I, I blame my 140 millimeter fans uh, that, that are moving a ton of air and the AIO. Uh, this PC is a little bit louder than the previous one. I mean, honestly, if you didn't, if you didn't look at it, you wouldn't have known my previous one was on. Hey, uh, Clayton just asked about blowing the PC up and I talked about building that PC for Scott Actually, update to that story, that's the PC. So I ended up having oh. to replace the motherboard, but the CPU, everything else was fine. I just had to replace the motherboard. And the crazy thing is, is a coworker of mine, He, I said, hey, do you have a motherboard that'll match this uh, CPU? I can't even remember what CPU it was now. And he said, yeah, I think I do. And he texted me a picture of it, and it was the same motherboard. Ah, it was the perfect. exact same motherboard. Perfect. <laughs> All right, so I got one more question to ask, and it's the most important one, I think. RGB, is it necessary or really necessary? Okay, okay. It's not necessarily necessary on that initial build when you're first putting things and together. And that's why you're wrong. Okay, no, hold that's on. Why you're let, wrong. let me get there. Let me get there. But um, <laughs> it, it, once you start that upgrade path, you know, when you get that extra money again, then yeah, yeah, throw in that RGB. But it's not necessary when on that initial build. You know, one thing I will say, it is it is totally necessary on the RAM. I'll that's, I'll just leave it at that. My uh, the G Skill Trident Nero Neo whatever whatever dude, it's the coolest RGB thing. Unless of course in the you whole know, case. You're, you're on a budget build and the uh, non RGB RAM is cheaper than the RGB RAM. Of course, the non RGB RAM was about twenty five dollars cheaper. So yeah, yeah, on on thirty two gigs it was about twenty five dollars cheaper. So I can totally get that. But it's still necessary, and you should consider upgrading. <laughs> you know how they say on World of Warcraft that transmogrification, where you change your gear to look like different sets, yep. is the real end game. RGB yeah. is the real end game to PC exactly. building. <laughs> exactly, because you've gone you've gone past having the kind of power that you need, and now you're just trying to like rice it out as far as yeah. what looks what it looks but you like. Can come back yeah. in later on and get a proper RGB controller and um, set yeah. it all up yourself and make it look how you want, and then just you right. know quick flip of a switch or maybe some software depending on how you set it up. 
But then you have to have a case that's got clear yeah, size. see? And, oh, now you're thinking, yeah. Tony. That's almost, why it's necessary. Almost yeah. all <laughs> the cases you buy nowadays have a, has a clear side. And they're glass, and that scares yeah. me. Yeah, or plexiglass. Yeah, I mean, the plexi is fine because you can drop that, but you drop the glass side, and, yeah, I think you never pick it up again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, not and in one piece, you don't. Finding you a have piece to sweep of glass it. that's exactly the right size to replace yeah. it. Yeah, you, you just, no, no, you just buy a whole new case, it's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way you're getting one. Yeah, see, and then you got to go with the keyboard. Look at that. Okay. Bo's got the keyboard, and then you got to go with the mouse that that rotates through all the 256 colors. And see, yep, exactly. <laughs> and then you, no, 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 and no, then no. you got to get like the. You have the, one of that. No, you, you got you go with the strip lighting behind your monitor to give you that mood lighting in the background too. And then you got to put one under your desk so your feet glow in RGB. Like there's, it's never ending. You just got to go. And that's why it's really necessary. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> All right. Well, any more, any more comments on, uh, on PC building? I could just keep talking. No, we but could I won't. do this all day. I'll, I'll spare you. Yeah. And then Tony will hate right, us then. more. Yeah. Tony's got to go to bed soon. So let's get to the, let's get to the <laughs> feedback. Let's get yeah. to the All right, I read them all all the time. Does anybody want to take these? I'll take Jack next because it's High Leo, but someone takes Stan. Go on, right. I'll take this one. So this one's from Stan. Uh, I install Gitso and then go to my router and put forward Gitso port number to my main workstation. Once done, all I have to do is give my IP number to any Linux newcomer, uh, newcomer that wants assistance. The Linux num uh, newcomer's router does not need to be altered. Works like the proprietary team viewer, only point uh, to point without needing uh, going through their servers. No account needed. Floss is good. <laughs> Gitso is a front end to reverse VNC connections. Uh, it's meant to be a simple two-step process that connects one person to another screen in the context of giving technical support. I have helped three Linux newcomers boot up with a live Linux Mint distro, had them connect to the internet. They used AP, APT to download and install Gitso. Then they put uh, in my IP number, I connect to their live session, and I assist them by going through the complete installation from that point on. Then they reboot into Linux Mint. Happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> That's super cool. Joe, I feel like this is really up your alley, but... I don't see that it supports X to go. It's just VNC. Yeah, it's a, it's huh. another remote software, and that is you know any of those that work well is is cool. I haven't tried out Gitso. I don't know anything about it, so I can't really say anything. All right. Well, uh, you know, the only thing I'll say is that that port forwarding thing. Be very careful when you do that. I mean, Stan, I'm sure you are careful when you do that. But anybody looking to do this and you're, you're trying to do some port forwarding and all of that kind of thing, just make sure that whatever you're forwarding to has a good firewall. And, I mean, you're actually looking at the firewall as a, as a whole um, because that's how a lot of the creepy crawlies happen, man. You got to be careful with that. So, anyway, as long as you're paying attention, I think you'll be just fine. So, next up is Jack. He said, just heard the latest podcast. Yes, I was the person who suggested FD. Well, Jack, you keep hooking it up. If you're trying out FZF, note that there are some plugins available. I use the fish shell, so I've been looking at some of the fish integrations. There seem to be some overlap between them, so it's a little confusing. Here's a good wiki page describing one of them and linking to others. 
So this is prior art. I didn't get a chance to look at it before we started, but I'll take a look into that. And then it says, uh, he says, uh, that plugin uh, depends on a couple of other tools. One of them is Bat. Even if you don't stick with Fuzzy Finder, which we talked about in the last episode, you probably want Bat. It's a less equivalent. It, oh, it's a less equivalent. So the, the program less uh, with coloring line numbers. Very nice. Oh, wow. That is awesome. Because every time I run less, I'm like, oh, yeah, the error was on line 40. How do I find line 40? And then I have to remember <laughs> how to do that in less. So line numbers is fantastic. And then he, and, uh, he links to the bat GitHub repository. Um, and then he says, actually, those dependencies amount to fish, bat, FCF, FD. Even if you don't use the fish plugin, uh, bat, FCF, and FD make a good set of tools. I assume there will be various other plugins for bash. So, yeah, more stuff to look at. Thanks, Jack. I appreciate that. So next up, this is to all of us. So I'll, uh, I will bow out. All right. I'll try this one. I should yeah. have got the shorter one. I know, right? I'm terrible at reading these things. Hi, all. Time Shift and ButterFS have been mentioned a few times over recent episodes. So I thought I would share a situation I had a while back and have worked my way through. In February, I upgraded to Ulyssa using my normal method of nuke and pathe. My data apart from music and audiobooks, which are replicated between three devices and a Windows VM, which is replicated between two devices, is on cloud storage. Um, my PC is an Intel i5-9400F, 4.1 um, hertz, 6 core, 16 gigs of RAM. Um, for storage, I have a 500 gig SSD, um, a one terabyte hard drive. The hard drive is mounted at his slash home directory. I, that, that's a good method. Um, the file system is ButterFS as I wanted to try the snapshot capability of TimeShift. I don't do much with TimeShift. In Yolana, I used ext4, not ButterFS, and just used the default TimeShift wizard setting without noticing any issues. When I went to Ulyssa, I used ButterFS and the TimeShift wizard setting um, from Clem's Brog, again, without issue. Around March, I tinkered with the TimeShift settings and added and add, to add a monthly two daily snapshots and checked the box on the Users tab to include the at-home sub-volume sub in backups. It was a while after this that I experienced system freezes. Firefox sessions could not refresh a page and changing sites in the same tab or opening a new tab just resulted in no apparent activity. The Mint menu worked, but launching new programs was painfully slow. And if I had to authenticate to open the system program, the authenticator would do nothing for ages before a timeout failure. If I started a terminal session, as soon as I logged in, I could run the top command and was able to see that system slowdown occurred. The top processes being used were ButterFS cleanup and ButterFS transact, and they would they would not respond to my attempts to lower nice um, settings or even kill them. They would also run for hours before the PC returned to normal use. After some research, I read that ButterFS has 
has been known to do this when free space is constrained. I had also experienced something similar with um, ADVFS in in the past. I found I had some large time shift snapshots. They were also just about the same size of slash home. I decided to manually delete one of the smallest snapshots in time shift, and almost immediately the PC looked looked up with top, showing ButterFS cleanup and ButterFS transact taking up almost all the resources. After the next couple of days, I deleted all the snapshots and and then returned time shift to the standard settings. Since then, the PC has been performing as well as it was before I tinkered with time shift. Your thoughts and conversation, uh, your your thoughts and constructive criticism are welcome. Yeah, I think that was it. It was the the fact that Butterfest doesn't like it when your disk is full and you're using that same disk as uh, as um, what do you call it? You're doing those backups, right? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, really, that's. I mean, yeah, you found the answer. You have the answer, and I mean, unfortunately, that's really there's not really a workaround. And it's Josh, isn't it? Yeah. Because he's he's our ButterFS. Person, but I think he talked about mm-hmm. something similar yeah, to this on a previous yep. I mean, show. It, it was this pretty much exact thing. I mean, once you get to about 90% storage and you're trying to do new snapshots, I mean, things probably won't work out too well because, yeah, that the Butterfest cleanup thing is trying to clean up uh, and, and write new stuff, but can't because there's no space. So it's just it's churning and churning and churning. And I imagine if you were to go look and see using, um, oh, IOTOP, to see how much your disk is writing to and from, or actually you could use BPytop as well. It, it shows that now. Um, you can see that I bet you anything, there's megabytes and megabytes per second that are getting churned through on uh, on your disk. So I imagine that's a lot of where uh, that performance is being robbed from you from. So yeah, just keep your disk as clean as you can uh, and lower down, I guess, your threshold for how many copies of uh, backups you have hanging around. That's this unfortunate, but... Yeah, I've always been scared of ButterFS for this reason. I don't understand it enough. I feel like to to fix it if it were to break on me or to cause yeah. some weird issue, I wouldn't know where to look. Well, one of the one of the first things that you run into with TimeShift and ButterFS and them doing snapshots and everything is that you can't save your snapshots to a different disk. It doesn't expect you to do that. It expects the same disk that you're taking the snapshot on to be the place where you store your snapshots, and that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because. You know, in in laptops and things like that, where where you're looking at lower quality and longer used SSDs, where ButterFS would really shine, you only have one disk. So you know, it's it's kind of obvious that that's where you would store your your backups and things. But you know, that's not native to those of us that have been using things like rsync and everything else for the longest time, because I expect to dump it all onto a separate disk. Yeah, there's a purpose to time shift and storing it locally, but that that just seems like dumb to me storing it on the same disc because you want to back up there in uh, case something goes horribly wrong yeah okay if you do an install and it breaks something that's one thing but what if your hard drive goes bad well right so that but that's the difference though time shift is a snapshotting utility not a full-on backup backup utility utility. right. right so i mean if you're thinking about it as snapshots as as easy ways to roll back because you made a mistake not because your hard drive is on fire then mm-hmm. it does a perfect job for that. But, you know, as a backup, I mean, honestly, rsync, man. Just either rsync the whole entire disk or your home folder or whatever you care about or just take an image of the whole thing using something like RescueZilla so you have a you know point in time that you can go back to. But, yeah, I mean, time shift is for those 
quick mistakes that you make or, you know, I accidentally deleted all of the photos that I care about. Yeah, but you know, you can bring them back. I don't think you can snap or or set up um, automation for a full image snapshot. No, you, you really can't. But, you know, that's why you do a full image backup once every couple of months. And then you do time shift every, you know, for the rest of the time. That way, you know, and and also, you know, your important junk should just be backed up. Elsewhere. Period. Elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Off-site. Time shift is not the end all be all of backup anythings. It is a complement to a backup scenario, like a backup. You already have a couple in the waiting. Anyway, he's got a couple of postscripts here, uh, and I think these come from various uh, various things that we've said over time. And he says, uh, I know that tinkering can be dangerous, dangerous, but it's a learning experience and can be fun. I 100% agree. That is the whole reason I like Linux is because I poke at it and then it breaks and I have to figure out how to fix it. If it wasn't dangerous, it wouldn't be fun. Yeah, exa- right, right. I mean, I, I have my, my data <laughs> backed up, so if I blow it up, it's going to be inconvenient, uh, and I'll probably have to figure some some things uh, up again because I forgot how to do them. But, you know, that that is the fun yeah, of it. I, I think that's I, the fun I'm pretty of it. sure all of us have learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. So another postscript was, over a 30-year IT career, I have been a digital Unix netware, Windows desktop, and Windows Server assist admin before moving to managerial roles, which included oversight of teams looking after Windows Server, Oracle, and Sun Solaris, Enterprise ZFS storage, and Red Hat servers. So, yeah, I mean, him tinkering with ButterFS, uh, I feel like he's got a good background to, uh, uh, to have that fun. Additionally, he goes on to say, at home, I made the move to Linux when I decided it was it, I didn't want to upgrade my Windows XP PC to Windows 7. I dabbled with OpenSUSE on KDE, but after a while, I made the move to Linux Mint on Julia. Wow. I've been a happy user of Mint, and for a while, Mint LMDE ever since. Mm. Yep, yep, you and me both. Once I found Mint, I, I was on the hook. Like, I've strayed, but I've never fully let go of Mint in uh, you know my, my entire time on Linux after I found it. And then the last thing he says, and this was uh, to us, uh, murdering Og. I prefer Og to MP3, but accept your reasons for switching to MP3 only. <laughs> well, thanks. Man. I appreciate that. It is dead, but, you know, you can still subscribe to the Og feed and you'll still get a show. It just won't be Og. Hmm. And I'm then, surprised. Is this the only response we got about that? It's only one uh, No, no. Actually, we, we have, oh, I, really? I have another one. I forgot to put it in the notes, but I'll, I'll read that off here in just a sec. Uh, we got one other response. But generally, when we were asking, both in the live show and after the fact, pretty much everybody either, and m- the majority of people, did not care, mm-hmm. period. Didn't have an opinion because I just clicked the subscribe and it is what it is, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that was the general consensus. Um, most people that did care uh, preferred MP3. And then you have a couple like Colin here and then the one I'll read here in a minute uh, that prefer Og, but still kind of don't care so (laughs) yeah 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 so we had uh um another email from tony and i feel like um he's trying to tell us something because he says sometimes i use uh any idiot at siac.com or any idiot 105 at gmail.com fun way to test email domain spam etc and wouldn't you know it he emailed us with any idiot 105 at gmail.com and uh (laughs) does that does that mean we're spam Tony, come on. Does that mean we're spam? <laughs> uh, I thought that was funny. It just made me laugh when I read that. So uh, thanks for emailing us, Tony. And then the other one, uh, what I was saying was, okay, so two episodes ago, TBA left us a comment on YouTube, and I didn't read it out in the last show because I totally missed it, and I don't know how I did it, but uh, he left us a couple. So one of them was, 
Um, on the topic of the MP3, uh, do you like video, blah, blah, blah. He says, I listen to these long versions on YouTube and download them and enjoy them. Uh, enjoy the setup banter in the beginning that we totally, that I totally borked up today. Um, and the end was the end, uh, end as was the case in this episode. So he enjoys the front and the back, the banter that you don't get in the actual edited show that only exists in the live show. So he, he digs that. And he said, video is not required. And this was when we were debating whether or not to turn our video cameras on. And he said, by me anyway. Of, the, of this live stream or even the finished product MP3s as I only need to listen to what's being said, which I take as the primary aim of Mintcast content, question mark. So yes, our primary aim is audio only, I think, right? Uh, and uh, we, yeah, just do, yeah. Yeah, we just do video to complement that because there are things that we talk about that I think sometimes it's easier to, to show, not tell. But yeah, only the live streamers or those that, that watch after the fact uh, really kind of get that. But I mean, the, the show is accessible without it anyway but yeah yeah definitely so he says um in a, a secondary comment just uh, another one um he mentions esnix has a polar opposite view on what constitutes a distro because we were talking about a distro a couple episodes ago um and his view is kind of uh boiled down to he doesn't even regard ubuntu and its respins as distros let alone simply adding only a wallpaper which we were joking about hannah montana but you know, if you have a following, if there's a community there, then it's a distro is kind of what we, or what I said. And uh, yeah, so Asnix has the polar opposite view of us that I would imagine like only the granddaddies like Debian and Red Hat and OpenSuits uh, are real distros and everybody else is just a poser. <laughs> <laughs> posers, man. Posers. Just standing on the shoulders of giants, pretending like they're doing something worthwhile, right? Pretending like they're giants, like they're exactly. also giant. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's a bit unfair to the likes yeah. of oh, Ubuntu that do so because they do some actual new innovation stuff, which then filters back into the likes. Yeah, of I mean, it, Linus years so, ago said that people that that create distros that take a kernel and then add their own kernel patches that are not directly upstreamed is exactly the point of the kernel. So, I, you know, I think distros um, bring a lot of value that way because eventually those fixes, if they're unique and worthwhile, will be vacuumed up straight into the kernel anyway. So, I mean, it's, it's a two-way street, right? The new kernels come down to Ubuntu and Ubuntu gets advantage, uh, takes advantage of that. And then the patches that, that are unique to Ubuntu um, you know, take, uh, you know, ButterFS and all the other file systems, for example. I mean, those weren't in the kernel at the beginning, but OpenSUSE pushed it forward and eventually ended up accepted into the kernel. So without OpenSUSE and all of their con contributions, you know, you wouldn't have that. So I think the community is what makes it, though, because the community is, are the people that drive the distro maintainers to do things like that. And, you know, if it's worthwhile, if, if the broader community supports it, you know, it gets shared. And I think that's, that's worthwhile. And that's why I think it's all a distro. But anyway, we had that conversation already. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll do it for our feedback. That went pretty fast, didn't it? I think. So we'll, uh, we'll head down to check this out. All right, Joe, you saved us. Uh, totally forgot. I said we should put something down there. And you did. You saved us today. What is Coder? Well, the Coder, um, he had a live stream today. He, he does a lot of hardware fixes, usually like P3 
PS4, PS5, Xboxes, Wii's, uh, gaming systems in general. And I really like watching his stuff. He does a great job. Um, I've watched him um, manually like reball uh, chips to put back on to uh, various systems. Um, and today, um, I'm trying to get a bit of cross promotion, I did post our live stream on his live stream. Uh, I want to mention this because he was discussing streaming with OBS today. So if you go back and watch the recording, he's actually showing how that's all set up. And and now, Leo, I I know that uh, probably next show, well, it should be next show, you're going to go through and, and at least show the rest of us. The entire setup that we're using now to get uh, Discord streaming through OBS to YouTube for the internet. Was I doing that? Yeah, All yeah. right, cool. The, it was decided. <laughs> All right, cool. So I'll do that. Yeah, definitely give this guy a like, maybe a subscribe if you're into any kind of hardware fixing or anything like that. Um, I, I really enjoy the content that he puts out and just fixing random things that come to him that other people were not able to fix. For sure, man. Awesome. I'll take a look at that. That that sounds cool. And speaking of li- liking and subscribing, I hear the uh, the people that do the advertising for like uh, YouTube channels and stuff like that say that if you say to like and subscribe something to something, people will actually do it. I, I don't know if this is true or not. So like, subscribe, hey, smash, like and subscribe, sma- smash <laughs> yeah. that bell button. Rawr. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do all that, all that, all that. I'm already subscribed, uh, but I'm liking right now. Yes, yes. <laughs> Get us up to one. Look Leave at all those dislikes. Comment. Look Let at us them. know how terrible we are. Yeah. Let us know what Jeez, else you want you to see offset. on the show or hear on the show. Yeah, you got to offset all 742 of those dislikes, man. So, you know, one to 742, that's fine. I'll take that. Yes. The, oh, here, uh, for those of y'all in the live stream, there is a link to the video Joe was talking about. You can get this channel that way. this time last time we had like five that we don't normally have but this time we have the normal one which is our nor our next episode is going to be 2 p.m u.s central time on june 13th 2021 normal time oh as well our i'm gonna i'm typing this out our saturday stream will be at 2 p.m u.s central time on checking the calendar the 6th june 6th 2021. Yay. I'll I'll try to make that. So, Hey, anybody tried to make that one, that show it's, is it even a show? Is it even a show? I don't know. It's us sitting around chatting about techie things. It's basically like a whole nother wanderings, but with absolutely no script. So you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll toss on a little game sooner or later. The Texas version of that is chewing the cud. (laughs) All right, so that'll do it for the show then. Uh, Joe, where can we get more of you? Well, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which is every Wednesday evening. That's www.tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, www.linuxlugcast.com. Um, we record the first and third Friday of every month. Uh, it, you can go out to the website, get the information, and join us. Anybody that wants to be on the podcast, please join. Um, you can catch me on MeWe, or you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. 
Nice. And Bo? Uh, Josh and I uh, do a, another Linux podcast uh, called Crowbar Kernel Panic. Um, it's, uh, it's a gaming podcast, um, but from two Linux nerds. So it's Linux gaming podcast. And you can email that podcast at crowbarkernelpanic at pm.me. And please do, because we haven't gotten any emails to read on the show yet. Uh, we've gotten a few YouTube con- comments, but no, uh, no emails. And Josh and I are wondering if the email even works. <laughs> All right. And Tony Hughes. I'm on Twitter at Tony H one two one two. You can get me at th at mintcast.org. and you can also get me at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. And the next episode of that will be recorded on Wednesday the ninth of June, and probably go out three or four days later. Very cool. You know what, Tony? Outside of the outside of the folks that like to hang around, like uh, Tony Siak and Tony Sierna. Um, you're the only Tony on the show anymore. Do I have to keep saying Hughes or do you like yeah. that? No, you call, call, you're just call Tony, Tony now. Look at this. Call me Tony H. Look at this. Delete it on the live stream, live for everybody to see. It's just Tony now. It's just Tony now. So, the uh, Tony. Hey, you got to change it to the, the Tony. Hey, hold on. The hold on. Tony. There it is. The Tony. There it is. All right. So, um, Josh didn't hear this time. But as you heard, Crowbar Colonel Panic comes out all the time. Uh, when, when, is it, when does it come out, Bo? Is, is there any, uh, we, any set schedule or is it just whenever? We live stream it every Saturday that's opposite the Sundays that we re- we live stream this. So uh, we should be doing one this coming Saturday. On the 6th when um, we're doing our other live stream. Oh, and that that's in the evening, right? Oh, that's right? a good point. Yeah, we do. We're, we're competing shows. Oh, crap. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. What what, what time is it? Uh, we do it at about 7 oh, o'clock that's well after uh, the Eastern show. Standard Time. That, that's well no, after. No, we're good. So check this out. Here's what you do. Here's okay. what you do. You just You just set up your Saturday. Here it is. You get you get munchies, you get drinks, and you just come and hang out. So at two central US, you come hang out with the Mintcast crew. Sometimes that's Bo, sometimes that's Josh, sometimes, you know, whoever. And then we we chew the cud for a little while. And then you take a break. You take a little break, uh, have or, yourself or, an or early we dinner. Do some gaming, and then we switch right yeah. into to CKP. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That'd be awesome. you, you yeah. go. You go mow the lawn. You do what you got to do. You no, take no, care of your business, and day. then you come back around. You don't get anything <laughs> else done. You're oh stuck. man, I don't know if I have that much time. But you take a quick break in between the two shows. Come back at uh, seven o'clock. That's not central, right? So it'd be six o'clock central. Seven. Is yeah. That... So yeah, six o'clock central. Yeah. All right. So you got you got you got about three hours. So it's like two to three central time on uh, on the Mincast Saturday show. Then you got three hours, then you come back and you check out CKP. That's cool. And then uh, I usually get the show posted by Wednesday. So nice. All right. So see, we got your Saturday planned out for you. Now all you got to do is follow through. Oh, you're gonna have to change Josh too. <laughs> why, Josh? Oh, he is. He's the only Josh. I don't know why. Yeah, true. He has. He, oh, you know what? He's just gonna be Josh on Tech now. That's gonna be his. Yeah. His last name is on Tech. Right. So Josh Hawk, you can get him at Josh on Tech at Mincast.org at Josh on Tech on Twitter and most of the social sites. And, of course, Crowbar Kernel Panic. Go check that out. Uh, Mike's not with us today, but Mike at Mincast.org and Grouchy M on Discord and Telegram. As for me, LeoChavez.org uh, and at LeoChavez on Twitter, at Leo at C.im on Mastodon. You can find me also. LinuxUserspace.show should be coming out at the beginning of July. And, of course, if you want to buy me a coffee, there's a link to do that. But before we leave... We want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Owen Peary for our audio editing. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website. 
Obstar for our logo, and Londoner for our time sync. Bytemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our mumble server. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. HPR for backup for our backup mumble room. I'm going to get through this outro, I promise. Uh, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about every fortnight. Thanks, Clem. Thanks, Thanks Clem. Clem. And Cole. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of the We have tortured you enough. <laughs> no, he's not midnight. <laughs> we have definitely tortured you. Right, I'm going into Audacity. I'm All going to right. stop the Audacity. Yeah, I'll do that.